The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker and you are listening to episode 109 of the podcast or you're joining us here on YouTube. Today is Sunday, September the 23rd. Happy fall to everyone. Of course, it's never really fall here in Florida, but for the rest of you elsewhere in the country that are enjoying the changing of the leaves and and pumpkin spice everything and uh, everything else that comes along with fall, uh, happy fall to you. I know a lot of people are really excited about it. Pumpkin beers, all that stuff, pumpkin pie, whatever. Uh, in any case, all the way from New Jersey, joining me is my co-host, who is probably starting to enjoy some pumpkin spice lattes. Jeff, yeah, Animal Wilson. Jeff, how you feeling on this Sunday afternoon, my friend? Bill, I'm loving it. I love the fall. I like it nice and chilly. Um, because I feel like in the fall, you can wear whatever you want. You can wear a hoodie and shorts, and people won't look at you like you're crazy for doing it. But, Bill, the thing that I'm most excited about, more than fall beginning, is this fight card that we had last night, which, Bill, I think it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, the Brazil cards are always so much fun. I'm wearing my favorite Brazil shirt <laughs> in support of the Sao Paulo card, Bill, because it was I think they hit it out of the park. Yeah, it, this was a really unexpected gem. Of course, uh, UFC Fight Night 137 from Sao Paulo, Brazil. Uh, and this was a card where it's like it's on later at night. I was exhausted this week because I had a sick baby at home. And I, I really had no intentions of staying awake for this entire card. My plan was to just watch it in the morning uh, and and see what I missed and you know, on paper, there's some good matchups, but yeah, this was really a phenomenal card. So if you missed this one, uh, we're, we're going to go over this card top to bottom and and really hit on the, the matchups that you need to go back and watch if you're a big fan of MMA or if you're content just listening to us talk about it, then that's fine too. So let's start at the top, Jeff. This was a main event that was never supposed to happen. Uh, both of these fighters are are middleweights. And I, I even tweeted at the end of the show last night that two middleweight fighters put on the best light heavyweight fight we have seen in years. And of course I'm talking about Tiago Santos and Eric Anders. Uh, so the main event was originally going to be Glover Teixeira and Jimmy Manoa. Then Glover Teixeira had to pull out. Tiago Santos says, okay, I'll move up and wait and fight you know, one of the baddest motherfuckers of weight class above me. Sure. So credit to Tiago Santos for doing that and stepping up. Then Jimmy Manoa had to pull out of the fight. So Eric Anders says, all right, I'll pull up. Uh, I'll move up and wait and, um, and do this main event uh, with uh, a killer. Um, but we know Eric Anders, you know, isn't afraid to get in there with anybody. I mean, he re he requested to fight Leota Machida in Brazil in his second fight in the UFC. This fight was an absolute war. It was so back and forth. 
uh, it, the grappling exchanges were really exciting. The striking exchanges were really exciting. Uh, the finish made me a little bit concerned uh, with the decision-making of Mark Goddard uh, just because I felt like it could have been stopped right at the end of the round. He didn't have to wait for Eric Anders to collapse twice on the way back to his stool. I think it was pretty obvious that he was done at that point. But uh, fight of the night and well-deserved. What were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Yeah, dude, this was a slobber knocker, man. And I haven't used that word ever. So that's <laughs> how <laughs> you know this was a good fight, Bill. And, dude, <clears throat> excuse me, all the credit in the world to Eric Anders for getting in there with an assassin in Tiago Santos. And, Bill, um, some people were complaining on Twitter that Mark Goddard robbed Eric Anders of a win because he had them reset their positions at the end of the third round. Well, I thought Eric Andrews was getting annihilated when he was shooting in for those takedowns. Um, Tiago Santos made him pay for it, especially in that third round. And, dude, at the end of that third round, Eric Andrews looked like he was like a smoothie being poured out of a blender, dude. He kept falling down. Um, dude, they went to war in there. And all the credit in the world to Eric Andrews taking on this fight on six days' notice. Um, Tiago Santos, um, he's a scary dude, and I thought they put on a really, really good fight. Uh, I'd love to see them get in there again with some time to prepare for each other. Yeah, for sure. At, I would also really like to see them both stay at light heavyweight just because this is such an empty division, as we say, week in and week out. But yeah, credit to both of these guys for stepping up and Obviously, Eric Anders isn't afraid to take on a Brazilian in Brazil. This is his second time doing it in only his fourth fight in the UFC. So he, he's a tough motherfucker. And, you know, he was trying to get back to his stool and he just couldn't. Uh, so all the credit in the world to him. That that's that's a that's a really fucking tough guy. And I, I've said for the longest time that Tiago Santos could be one of the most dangerous fighters in the UFC. Uh, when he's patient, uh, he tends to get into trouble when he tries to uh, force things and slug it out with people, especially at the higher level. That's how he got knocked out by David Branch. Uh, that's how he got submitted by Eric Spicely. That's how he got knocked out by Gegard Mousasi is he started. He would start brawling and then he's had some health issues apparently. But when he's healthy, I mean, this is a guy who knocked out Anthony Smith who could potentially, you know, there's been talks of him fighting for the light heavyweight title. Um, so there's a potential for that rematch at light heavyweight, which I would love to see. Um, I, I think Tiago Santos might have to actually take a fight against an actual light heavyweight first, uh, maybe a top 15 guy, uh, lower end of the top 15, which I, I couldn't even tell you who's, who's in the top 10 at light heavyweight right now because it's such an empty division and the champ has even moved up to heavyweight. So, I, I don't know, but I, I would really like to see both of these guys stay at light heavyweight just because I like the way they both looked. Uh, they both looked awesome at the weigh-ins. Uh, Santos weighed in at 203, uh, so obviously I had no problem making weight. I'm, I'm a big proponent of guys fighting closer to their natural weight, and I always feel like it's a good move. Look what happened for Anthony Smith. You know, he lost to a guy like Tiago Santos in middleweight and he moves up to light heavyweight and he's destroying people. Uh, but just a phenomenal fight. I can't say enough good things about it. Um, the only 
bad thing about this whole fight is Eric Anders' nickname. Uh, your boy <laughs> has got to go. Uh, your boy got it done, Bill. Well, almost. No, your boy couldn't get on his stool. So <laughs> it's time for your boy to change his name. <laughs> we need <laughs> we need something else. You're, you're not playing college football anymore. Uh, let's let's get a grown up nickname here. Uh, but other than that, I I really loved this fight. Uh, do you have anything in mind that you'd like to see next for either of these guys, Jeff? Honestly, Bill, I think that for Tiago Santos, this fight with Jimmy Manuel needs to happen at light heavyweight. Uh, like you said, I think he looked good in there. Eric Anders as well. I think that they would both benefit from taking away that weight cut and staying at two hundred five. And uh, for Anders. I think you give him uh, first some time off um, and then somebody in the lower half of um, the light heavyweight rankings. Uh, I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, but for Tiago Santos, I'd really like to see him get in there with Jimmy Manuel. Yeah, for sure. For Eric Anders, um, possibly a matchup with Sam Alvey, I think would be interesting. Uh, so Alvey taking a knockout loss. We'll jump around the card. A little bit taking a knockout loss to the legend uh antonio rogerio noguera or lil nog as he's affectionately known as getting back in the ufc octagon for the first time in about two years since he was uh ko'd by ryan bader uh, a while back but this is a guy if you're newer to the ufc and you haven't been a fan for a long time you don't realize what a legend this guy is you think oh who's this 42 year old motherfucker getting in here with Smile and Sam, who you see fight every other week, uh, and and people are probably a lot more familiar with him. Lil Nog is a fucking killer, and he showed that he's still got power in his hands last night, uh, knocking out a top prospect in Sam Alvey, who was trying to get revenge for his coach, Dan Henderson, who was submitted by Lil Nog in 2005. Um, so that's a long time to wait for retribution, and he got none of it uh what <laughs> so <laughs> I, I took the long road to ask jeff but what were your thoughts uh on this fight and the performance by little nog here well man i was so impressed with little nog it looked like uh it took him a couple minutes to uh kind of readjust to being in the octagon again but dude his boxing looked pretty crisp he was landing a lot of shots on sam alvey um and dude i've always liked lil nog he's so well-rounded you know he's got his black belt in jujitsu he's got stu he's got his own jujitsu school with his brother and um a lot of people may not know this but lil nog's um first martial art that he trained in was boxing he's been doing it for a really long time and he's always been really solid on the feet with his boxing so i was really impressed um, especially considering that there's like 10 years between these two guys. Um, I thought he looked a little bit stiff at first, but then he landed this overhand left that left Sam Alvey on his knees and Alvey went for a takedown and he was arguing with, uh, I believe it was Mark Goddard. I forgot who the ref was mm -hmm. um, who stopped this fight, but I thought it was a good stoppage. Sam Alvey, he was clearly out of it. He had some trouble sitting down after this. Yeah, so I did shit on Mark Goddard a little bit earlier. He's not my favorite referee, um, but I, I do think this was a good call. So little Nog crumpled Sam Alvey uh, with a shot that made Alvey's right leg bend underneath him. That looked very awkward. There could be some damage to the ligaments in his knees. I wouldn't be 
surprised if that were the case because he hit the ground hard and his leg bent away that it's not physically meant to. Uh, but credit to Sam Alvey. What what a tough dude. You know, he hits the ground and instinctively snatches up a single leg. He was totally out of it, though. So credit to Mark Goddard for picking up on that there. Um, and now I guess little Nog could be back in the mix. I'd be interested in a fight between him and Glover Teixeira. I mean, let's see, uh, let's see, t you know, two of these old cowboys see uh, <laughs> uh, who could chase the other one out of the West and uh, <laughs> and which one would ride off into the sunset, like a retirement fight maybe between Clover Teixeira and Little Nog. Uh, <laughs> that would be kind of cool. But Eric Anders and Sam Alvey I think would be fun. I know Sam Alvey was saying he wants to fight in Milwaukee. I believe that card is coming up in December or so. And Eric Anders, I think um, – plans to be on that same timeline so that's something where the stars could align on that i think uh those are two really cool matchups there so the fight that we skipped over and you know it'll take uh, just as long to talk about it alex cowboy Oliveira demolishing carlo perisoli uh in 39 seconds and just a complete destruction for cowboy Oliveira. you kind of have to be happy for this guy uh he just brings such a positive energy every time he fights and you know, he's had like issues making weight and and he, he's done some shitty things in the past, but I can't really remember what they are. So uh, I'll just be happy for him. Uh, uh, what were your thoughts on this very quick knockout here for the Brazilian, Jeff? Dude, I was super impressed, man. Uh, I thought Carlo Petersoli was a tough dude. Alex Oliveira looked super technical, super tough in there. And I love the finish because Petersoli threw this kick right into the sternum. Oliveira caught it and then, like, jumped forward and smashed him with a right hand that put him down. And it was over from there. Um, Dude, uh, I'm a fan of both of these guys, um, but Oliveira just looked phenomenal in there. Good for him. Yeah, uh, performance of the night bonus for Oliveira in that one, I believe. Uh, and then I'll jump down a little bit. I don't want to spend too much time on this fight, but Andre Yule getting the split decision victory over Hannah Burrell. Burrell was controlling the ground exchanges very well, uh, which is no surprise because he had seven pounds on Yule. Uh you know, this is really disappointing. And a former champion like Hennon Burrell, not only to miss weight, but to miss it by such a disgusting margin. He was basically a weight class above. Uh, so credit for Andre Yule. I, I like his striking. You know, they call him the highlight. Uh, this was his UFC debut, I believe. Uh, and what a, what a debut. Like, okay, you're going to fight the former champion who was destroying everybody in your weight class five years ago. Uh, good luck. And you're going to fight him in Brazil. Oh, and by the way, he's going to be seven pounds heavier than you. And he's a grappler. So once he gets on top of you, it's going to be miserable. So good luck. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, he handled it. Um, I, I thought it was a close fight. Um, but I, I can't feel bad for Hannah Burrell, uh since he missed weight. And it, you know what a huge pet peeve that is for me, Jeff. Uh, any thoughts on this fight here? Yeah, dude, I think that if you missed it, you should go back because you'll be pleased. <laughs> but anyway, Bill, bad puns aside, Andre Yule looked phenomenal in there uh, after the first round. Because in the first round, Barrao, it was all Barrao. He was on top of him the whole time. But credit to Yule, he looked really composed. He was cool as a cucumber, um, getting out of an arm bar, um, getting out of an Oma Plata setup. And after that, 
Um, he was stuffing takedowns. Like you said, his striking looked great. He put Burrell on his butt quite a few times. And in the third round, I think that if it had gone on another minute, I think he would have finished Burrell. Yeah, yeah, that was real close. He had him he had him a little wobbled at the end there. Uh so the fight before that, Random Marcos and Marina Rodriguez. Uh this fight went to a majority draw. One judge saw it for Marcos. Uh, I thought this fight was too close to call personally. It was it was so it was so back and forth. These girls beat each other up. Um you know, sometimes you're disappointed to see a draw. In this case, I felt it was appropriate. Uh what were your thoughts, Jeff? Bill, um, I know not everybody's going to be pleased with the draw, but I agree with you. I thought it was appropriate. I thought the first round was 10-8 for Ronda Marcos, and then it was Marina Rodriguez with two 10-9s. And, Bill, honestly, I thought, for me, this was fight of the night up until the Eric Anders and um, Tiago Santos fight. I thought this was really back and forth. I thought Marina Rodriguez did such a good job of bouncing back because she was getting demolished with Ronda Marcos's ground and pound. So if you didn't go back and watch, if you didn't see this one live, definitely go back and watch this. This was a really good fight. Yeah, my my fight of the night kept changing as this card went on. At first, I thought it would be Ryan Spann and Luis uh, Enrique uh, De Oliveira, and then I thought it was going to be Francisco Trinaldo and Evan Dunham. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the uh, performance of the night, the other performance of the night, went to Charles Oliveira, who had a really slick rear naked choke submission over Christos uh, Giagos in the second round. And with that submission, he passed Hoist Gracie for the most submissions in UFC history with 11. Uh, and he, you could tell how emotional he was after it. Uh, this is this is a guy with some of the highest level grappling in MMA, uh, maybe ever. Uh, I I don't know if he's the most dominant grappler of all time, um, but it it he's definitely in the conversation. I mean he's he's the leader in submissions for the UFC, uh, so that says a lot. What were your thoughts on this performance by uh, Charles Oliveira here, Jeff? Yeah, Bill, super impressed with Oliveira because he looked pretty good on the feet too, man. Um, before the submission, he he was getting kind of pieced up, but he was making uh, Christos uh, Giagos work for it. And, um, dude, I've been a fan of Oliveira since he first came into the UFC. I thought his grappling was so smooth, so slick. So to see him string two wins together, I'm really happy for him because he was a little bit hot and cold in his last couple of fights. So good for him. Good for him that he broke uh, Hoist Gracie's record. And I can't wait to see what's next for him. I hope he stays at lightweight because um, I feel like the cut to featherweight was a little too much on his body for him. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. But he was asking uh, to move back down to featherweight uh, at the end of this fight. I... I hope he stays at lightweight as well, but uh, at the same time, that that division is so bottlenecked right now. You have, I think, fifteen interim belts floating around out there, uh, <laughs> and sixteen of them have been reclaimed somehow. Uh, I don't know how that math works, but uh, it seems to be the case with the lightweight division that is very, very congested right now. And depending how uh, UFC two twenty nine goes. We may see a champion that's going off to take a boxing match, but uh, that's that's a theory for another time. Moving down the card, I thought this was another fucking phenomenal fight 
Francisco Trinaldo and Evan Dunham and Evan Dunham, unfortunately announcing his retirement at the end of this fight. But, um, what a beautiful finish by Francisco Trinaldo here because Evan Dunham was really extended on a right hand. His body was stretched out and Francisco Trinaldo ducked his head. He backed his head away from the punch and leaned his knee and his hips thrust him forward, landing a beautiful knee to the liver of Evan Dunham and, and just dropping him and putting him down. And there was no way he continued to fight after that. It was perfectly placed. Evan Dunham's body was perfectly stretched out. Uh, this is something that you could make a painting out of. Uh, if you took a still shot of the way this knee landed and, uh, up until that point, it was a really competitive fight. It was back and forth, and these guys were beating the hell out of each other. Um, so uh, win or lose, an awesome last performance by Evan Dunham. Uh, he's a guy that you're never disappointed to see on a card. Uh, you know, he's been a journeyman his whole career, and I don't say that in a disrespectful way. You know, he's a guy that you never really expected to make a title run, but he was always in the mix. He was never an easy fight. Uh, and you know, he never really put on boring fights. He was a, a grinder, but an exciting grinder. And, uh, you know, thank you to Evan Dunham for, for all the classic fights, um, that we've seen you in over the years and, uh, credit to Trinaldo for, for pulling this one out. He looked like he was in some serious trouble at some points in this fight. What were your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, dude, I was super impressed with both of these guys. And like you said, Evan Dunham, always a guy that you want to watch, always puts on a good fight, an exciting fight. And Francisco Trinaldo, uh, same for him, dude. I always enjoy watching Trinaldo's fights. And, you know, both of these guys looked really good on the feet. And I think that Trinaldo just uh, timed his shot really, really well. Like you said, Dunham, it looked like he overextended a little too much, and Trinaldo just landed that knee perfectly right on the liver and Dunham folded up like a lawn chair and just went to the ground. Good stoppage from the ref. And, you know, thank, like you said, thank you to Evan Dunham for all the awesome fights that he's put on. Um, like I said, super impressed with this one. Yeah. So um, just a couple more fights we'll get into here, Jeff. Uh, Ryan Spann and Luis Henrique uh, Barbosa de Oliveira. That's a mouthful. Um, I, I thought this was a really good fight. I, I think it, it went back and forth. I was impressed uh, with Luis's wrestling. I was impressed with Ryan Spann's grappling. Um, the striking exchanges were very clean. Uh, you know, both of these guys landed some big shots. Uh, and the decision going to Ryan Spann, I think, um, was, was the right way to go. I, I had it. Uh, I, I think I remember scoring it two rounds for Ryan Spann and one, I think I gave the second round to uh, Luis, but uh, what were your thoughts on this fight, Jeff? Yeah, dude, Ryan Spann making his UFC debut, if I'm not mistaken. He looks really good in there uh, coming off of um, Dana White's Tuesday night contender series. So um, really good on him. His wrestling looked good. His grappling was really solid. Uh, he looked uh, pretty good on the feet. So I'm excited to see what's next for him because, um, like you said, this is the light heavyweight division. It's a little bit dry. So I'm glad that we threw somebody else into the mix here. Yeah, for sure. It, it's great to see a lot of light heavyweights coming off of this contender series. I'm glad that that's been their focus. 
Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, uh, to relate it to another sport. It's like the football draft. Like you don't have a quarterback on your team. You have to draft a quarterback. So with the contender series, uh, the UFC is really lacking light heavyweights. So they're looking to draft some light heavyweights here. So I'm really glad to see that. Um, uh, moving on down the line, a really sloppy fight, in my opinion. Augusto Sakai making his UFC debut against Chase Sherman, who this is a guy, I don't know what happened to him, but he came into the UFC with a lot of momentum, and he has just become a punching bag in this heavyweight division. And it, it's really sad to see, and it, it's it's sad to say, but I would, I would like to see him uh, take a step back from the UFC and, and maybe get some maybe get some wins outside of the UFC and other organizations and uh, work his way back up. Because at this point, uh, you know, the guy can take a punch. He's taken a, a lot of damage from some really big guys, but you don't want to be known for that. Uh, his striking, uh, I don't know. Again, I don't know what happened to him because in the beginning, I don't remember him fighting this way, but his striking is very stuttery. It's very clumsy. Uh, when people throw strikes at him, he flinches a lot and throws his hands. He parries out way too far, uh, and it's just not high-level striking, and this guy is a striker. Um, so I think he just needs to get into another organization, fight some lower-level guys, get some of his confidence back, um, and, and yeah, kind of regroup because it's been a rough road with three losses in a row and losing uh, five out of his last seven in the UFC, uh, I think it's time for Chase Sherman to reevaluate some things here. And I know he moved around camps and uh, I guess got away from what got him to the dance. And then with Sakai making his UFC debut, I thought he looked okay. Uh, you know, he, he managed to put away a guy who, like I said, has, has been taking a, a lot of head trauma in his last couple of fights. And I, I thought Sakai looked very sloppy as well. Uh, I'm not a fan of these heavyweights who come in. I mean, this guy cuts to make heavyweight, but it looks like he shouldn't need to cut weight. He just needs to lose, lose a few pounds, but you know, it's a solid performance for a debut, uh, able to win uh, uh, in front of his hometown crowd. Uh, what were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Um, this was an okay fight. I thought that um, Augusto Sakai did a good job on the feet. Um, and once it hit the ground, I expected to see a little bit more jujitsu from him. I believe he's a jujitsu black belt, but he was happy to finish with strikes. So overall for Chase Sherman, I don't know if he needs to leave the UFC for a bit, but he definitely needs to do something, man. I don't know if he needs to change camps because um, I agree with you. When I first saw Chase Sherman, I was really impressed with him. And now he's kind of plateaued a little bit. So um, he needs something to re to revitalize his career a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, maybe just some time off will do it. Uh, and maybe the flinching reaction is because he's been knocked out so many times. Um, you know, far be it from me to criticize anybody who's fighting at this level, but, uh, you know, you and I were both kind of high on Chase Sherman for, for a bit when he made his UFC debut and, uh, you know, he seems far removed from the fighter he was at that time. So I, I would like to see him regroup in some way. Um, the last fight I want to touch on Jeff, um, I know you didn't catch this one, but it was, uh, you should go back and watch it. It was a masterful 
display of Brazilian jiu-jitsu by Sergio Moraes over longtime UFC veteran Ben Saunders and 10th Planet Black Belt. Ben Saunders is an awkward guy because he's super tall for the welterweight division. Uh, I believe he's like six foot 13, uh, <laughs> something like that. He's six, six foot three, which is huge for 170 pounds. Uh, he's got those long legs and he plays that shitty rubber guard, which I don't understand why anybody does that uh, at this level anymore uh, because it's just a stalling tactic unless you want the fight to get stood back up. But Sergio Moraes showed such incredible top pressure and he kept moving and pressing slowly past Ben Saunders uh, high guard there. And he got past those long legs and he just kept putting that steady classic Brazilian jiu-jitsu top pressure. Uh, and it was really masterful to watch if you're a fan of grappling. So uh, if you are a big Brazilian jiu-jitsu and grappling fan, um, just go watch this example of, uh, you know, really incredible top pressure conquering uh, 10th planet rubber guard. Uh, and uh, I'm sure it wouldn't be too hard to find other examples of that as well. I may be a little biased, but um, yeah, he looked phenomenal and, and wound up getting a arm triangle in the second round, being the first person to ever make Ben Saunders tap out in professional MMA. And this is a guy who's been around forever. He's had 32 professional fights, so uh, never tapped out till last night. Uh, but Sergio Moraes getting it done. Uh, any thoughts on that one, Jeff, even though you didn't catch it? Yeah, dude, I'm going to definitely have to check that one out. Um, Bill, one highlight that I saw that I didn't see the whole fight, but the highlight finish, um, Eliseo Zaleski Dos Santos versus Luigi Vendramini. Dude, he landed this flying knee that I thought might have killed Luigi Vendramini. Um <laughs> It it um it was uh it kind of reminded me of Kid Yamamoto, who um the MMA community lost uh, last week, um so you know it was very it was it was nice to see that um and you know for those of you who may not know Kid Yamamoto, um he was this explosive fighter you just knew he loved fighting, and um I think he's a big loss for the MMA community, Bill. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this guy was a legend back in the day. Um. When, uh, you, you know, before the UFC really caught on and when, and when there wasn't 10 pay-per-views a month and everything like that, you had to go and watch these other organizations. And Kid Yamamoto was one of these guys that was just so flashy. You didn't know what you were going to get. You didn't know if you were going to get a war out of him or you were going to get like a three-second knockout where he would just run across the cage uh, with some flying blood sport shit. Um <laughs> He was like a, a real martial artist and a real showman and definitely uh, a huge loss uh, for mixed martial arts in general. I, I would definitely recommend go back and watch some kid Yamamoto fights, uh, but uh, maybe not his fights in the UFC. I would say go back and watch some of the other stuff from Japan uh, and you'll see a guy who, you know, he was brash. He was tattooed up and he would get in your face and he would come flying across the ring at you. And he, he just brought an energy uh, that you don't really see that much in MMA anymore. And, you know, maybe he would be one of these heels 
that we see these days because of the way he behaved and, and his brash attitude. But he was definitely a fan favorite back in the day. So uh, what a huge loss. And, um, you know, we're really sad to see him go. Uh, so, yeah, I, I want to check out that Dos Santos fight because I, he I heard about the finish. Not a good night for the Italians on this card in Brazil here. So Luigi Benjamini and uh, Carlo Pedersoli. Going to be a long flight back to Italy for those two paisans. So, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, in any case, let's move on. So, the next thing coming up in the UFC, there's a little fight um, going on in October in Las Vegas. It's UFC 229. The uh, lightweight champion, Khabib Nurmagomedov, taking on the challenger, Conor McGregor. Uh, we saw a press conference last week on Thursday. I'm sure a lot of you saw it. Um, you know, there was a lot of backlash about this, as as anything in the MMA community. It's a it's a very it's a very pessimistic community. People love to hate things. Uh, I didn't I didn't hate the press conference. I thought it was a little awkward that they didn't have fans there. Um, so. But yet, Conor McGregor was still pandering to fans who weren't there. Um, it was strange, and he was—I he, felt like he was forcing some, forcing some one-liners in there uh, that he wanted to get across, and it it came off a little choppy because you don't have the the crowd reactions, which I, I don't know if that's what the UFC was going for. And then it got very political. And he, you could tell he was really trying to get under Khabib's skin uh, in talking about, uh, you know, international problems between Dagestan and the Chechenian people, uh, which is a very sensitive subject for Dagestani people. Um, but no surprise that, that Conor McGregor went there. Obviously, the usual trash talk isn't going to work against Khabib. Like, oh, I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to blast your face and uh, all this. Um, he's not going to be phased by that. But I do feel like uh, he he was really agitated when Connor started talking about, you know, that Dagestani-Chechenian relationship, which is a really sore subject. Uh, I, I'm not too well read about it, so I don't want to speak out of turn. But uh, I know that that does cut pretty deep. And then Connor had some things to say about Khabib's father as well. Uh, well I don't want to get too far into breaking down this fight yet. Cause we have a couple of weeks. Um, so we can get another episode in where we can really focus on that. But what was your reaction to the press conference, Jeff? Um, well, first off, I agree. It was, it was awkward, you know, all that stuff, um, you know, McGregor being McGregor, it was so weird without, the fan reactions um but you know uh i think he still built up a lot of hype for this fight and i think at the end of the day he knows that because there were no fans there that they'd all be watching on youtube or um whatever streaming service and um i think he was still pandering to those people i think he's doing a good job of trying to uh get pay-per-view vibes for this and um I just, some of it I thought was in poor taste. Uh, like you said, I thought that the Chechenian and Dagestani relationship, um, bringing that up, I think was uh, not very classy. And also at the end, uh, he came after Nurmagomedov's manager. 
which I, um, you know, uh, at one point he said, how's Noah, which I assume is a family member of uh, Khabib's manager. And I think that was really, really uncalled for. Um, you know, I know McGregor's a showman, but there are certain lines you don't cross. I, I feel like you don't bring in family into anything. And, um, you know, some of it was in really, really poor taste. And you got to give credit to Nurmagomedov for just staying cool, man. He just sat there and took it. Um, I think he understood that because of the language barrier and because it's Conor McGregor, he wasn't going to win a war of words. But um, I think he did a good job of at least visibly not letting McGregor get in his head here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I guess, uh, you know, it kind of speaks to how worried Conor is about this fight. The fact that he had to dig so deep and try to cut Khabib so deep to get in his head because that's a big part of his game plan. You know, we saw it with Eddie Alvarez. He really got under his skin and I, it really took Eddie off of his game uh, when he fought him. And we've seen it time and time again from Conor McGregor. Uh, I think the press conference was good. It got people talking, uh, which is the ultimate goal. Uh, I am still curious to try proper 12 whiskey. I, I did look for it this weekend. Uh, I, I called a couple of different liquor stores, but nobody uh, seems to know, even know what it is in Florida yet. I know it's, it's flying off the shelves in Ireland and New York. Uh, uh, maybe you'll have a better chance of getting your hands on some Jeff. I am curious, uh, you know, say what you want about Conor McGregor, but uh, I love whiskey. So, this is a storyline for me. I also think it's strange that Proper 12 is going to be a sponsor of UFC 229 and their logo is going to be on the cage. Um, I don't know that this falls under a conflict of interest or like how, how did this happen? It was kind of mentioned as an afterthought. And, uh, you know, Dana White was like, yeah, they're going to be a sponsor. So I guess Connor's going to get his regular paycheck which is you know very large somewhere in the vicinity of seven million dollars i think he makes a flat rate to fight at this point and i imagine it's probably higher now since the floyd mayweather fight so you know he may be up around the 10 million dollar range uh and then sponsorships obviously proper 12 he's affiliated with that company uh, I don't think he's an owner, but he's affiliated in the same way like Puff Daddy is affiliated with Ciroc Vodka and things like that. So a lot of times what these liquor companies will do is they'll make a product that they know is great and then they'll reach out to a celebrity to endorse it. And, you know, they're they're not really owners, but they're getting paid a shitload of money to say that it's their brand. Um, so there's that, and I'm still going to try and get my hands on some before UFC 229. And, uh, you know, I'll give you guys an honest, <laughs> I'll give you an honest review from what I understand. It's meant to be very much like Jameson and a competitive Jameson. I thought it would be a higher end whiskey, but apparently the bottles are going for like 25, 30 bucks. So they really do want it to compete with Jameson, uh, and have it be like, you know, your household, Irish whiskey that you just have on hand. And, uh, apparently they can't keep it on the shelves in, in Ireland. So, uh, you know, the Irish fans are super supportive of everything. Uh, I, I don't want to get too deep into this card yet, but we have some awesome matchups that stick out and we have some matchups that are like, eh. Uh, so Tony Ferguson, and Anthony Pettis, the co-main event, that's a fucking phenomenal fight. 
and I can't wait for that one. Alexander Volkov and Derek Lewis. If Derek Lewis is healthy, this will be an amazing fight. Obviously not coming off, uh, you know, the most exciting heavyweight fight ever in his last performance, but uh, there's that. And um, uh, those are the only ones that really jump off the page to me. Michelle Waterson and Felice Herrig could be kind of fun. Um, and then we got Sergio Pettis and Jussier De Silva on here. Uh, oh, and Tanya Evinger and Aspen Ladd could be a fun fight. Aspen Ladd undefeated, uh, coming in to take on Tanya the plumber Evinger. And, uh, <laughs> dude, I'll never forget that text, man. <laughs> I sent you a text saying that when Tanya Evinger. Um, was going to fight Chris Cyborg, that at the press conference she looked like a plumber. And, Bill, <laughs> you didn't believe me until you went back and watched the press conference. <laughs> she definitely, yeah, she definitely resembled a plumber. Uh, <laughs> and I, I can't get that image out of my head every time I think about Tanya Evinger. But that should be that should be a fun fight. Uh, Ryan LaFleur and Tony Martin, that's another fun one too. But we'll take a deeper dive into this card next week. But uh, which of these fights is really jumping off the card to you, Jeff? Oh, man. Um, besides the main event, definitely uh, Tony Ferguson coming back against Anthony Pettis. I think that is going to be super flashy. Um, oh, my God. I'm, I think I might be excited more for the co-main event because of their styles than for the main event, which is essentially grappler versus striker. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So there's that. We'll take a deeper dive into UFC 229 next week uh you know we'll really get into it because there there were some things technically that both fighters said at the press conference that i'd like to talk about and um you know let's really break this fight down i, I don't i think the the fan base is very divided you're either a connor supporter or a connor hater and i think um depending on what side of the fence you fall on that's who you think is going to absolutely win this fight. Uh, but of course we'll take a more objective approach and actually break down the skills of both guys and, and uh, you know, really take a deep dive into that one. Uh, in the meantime, uh, if you need to get your MMA fix, Bellator 206 is taking place uh, next Saturday, September 29th. It's headlined by a super fight between Gegard Mousasi and Rory McDonald. So the middleweight champion, and the welterweight champion, Rory McDonald, uh, you know, th these two have been calling each other out for a little while. Rory McDonald winning the the title against uh, Lima a couple of months ago in a very close fight in which he couldn't even walk afterwards. So I think it's a bold move to move up and wait after a fight like that. But, okay, I mean, these guys want to fight, so let's see them fight. I think it's interesting. Then the co-main event, Quentin Rampage Jackson and Vanderlei the Axe Murderer Silva fighting for the fourth time. Um, I, I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of these fights. You know, like Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz. Like I I've seen them fight twice, and um, it, you know, it wasn't even competitive with Quentin Jackson and Vanderlei. Uh, go back and watch the first three times, or more specifically, the first two times these guys. Uh, fought some of the most violent fights in the history of MMA. And I am not exaggerating when I say that uh, these guys knocked the fucking shit out of each other. 
uh, three times. Uh, I don't really need to see this a fourth time. I, I would prefer to remember these two the way they were. You know, Quentin Jackson coming out ripped with a big chain around his neck. Now he's like kind of soggy. He's like basically a heavyweight. Vanderlei had that weird face surgery. It makes him look like a fucking pterodactyl. And now he's like, now it's like, all right. Um, you know, either one of these guys could still get knocked out at any point, but uh, do I need to see it? No. Will I watch it? Probably. And then a real, a much more interesting fight is Douglas Lima and Andre Koroshkov. This is a phenomenal welterweight fight and that's going to be really exciting so uh if nothing else on this card has piqued your interest check this one out and then wrestling phenom aaron pico uh making a another fight you know he lost his debut but then he's been fucking killing people ever since he's taken on leandro higo who is a a very experienced fighter you know he's got uh 22 fights under his belt. So one of the more experienced guys that Pico's faced. Uh, and this kid is just uh, a phenomenal wrestler. You know, they've been talking about him in the practice room and his work ethic and the way he's been dominating in there. Uh, and what else we got? Um, this is a long ass card. There's fucking 18 fights on here, which I don't know why Bellator keeps doing this. Um, you know, I, I understand they're trying to build a roster, but if you're going to an event, do you really want to be there for like 15 hours? If you're like, <laughs> you gotta, you're going to end up having like three square meals at, at the, uh, <laughs> at, the staff, at the staff center in San Jose. Um, <laughs> these events are so long that they end up cutting the prelims so they could do the main card and then having more prelims after the main event, um, which is rough on the crew and everything like that. So I, I know I just rattled off a whole bunch of things, Jeff, but uh, what are your thoughts on Bellator 206 next weekend? Honestly, Bill, it's looking pretty good. Um, I like that it's a weekend off from the UFC, but there's still something to watch. Um, I think that Bellator has some good fights on this card and are taking advantage of the fact that um, the UFC is not putting on a card that weekend. Um, because there was a card, I believe, Friday night for UFC, I mean for Bellator, and I had no idea that it happened, so... I'm hoping that Bellator really get the ball rolling with this card, man, because Musasi versus McDonald is a fight that I'm really excited for. I'm a fan of both of these guys. Um, so Bellator, don't screw up. Yeah, it could go one of two ways. You know, people could say, oh, you know, there's no MMA until Connor could be able to check this out. Or it could be, you know, people are like, I don't want to watch any MMA because I'm I'm waiting for Connor Khabib. I'm having a a party or I'm going out to a bar. I'm definitely going to watch this. And then, you know, their ratings are in the shitter for this one. Um, Gigar Musasi and Rory McDonald are two super awkward guys that are not really going to reel in the casual fans. Uh, hardcore fans are obsessed with these guys. Um, you know, Rory McDonald has a small cult following, I believe in the MMA community. Uh, but, you know, the casual fan is not going to know who either of these guys are, even though this is a super fight. This is a champion versus champion fight. Uh, something that we haven't seen too much of in Bellator, but, uh, it, it should be a good one. Uh, I'm going to check it out. 
and I know you're going to check it out, Jeff. So uh, not too much else going on other than the fact, and we haven't talked about this yet. So John Jones was issued his suspension by USADA. He was given a 15-month suspension, and it's and it's prorated. So, uh, you know, he's been going through litigation back and forth trying to prove that he had a tainted supplement, and they basically said, all right, we realize you weren't trying to cheat, but – you still cheated, so we're going to suspend you for 15 months. A lot of people pissed off about this um, and saying, you know, USADA was paid off. USADA's a joke. And even Daniel Cormier was saying, like, don't come and wake me up at 6 o'clock in the morning anymore if you're just going to do shit like this um, because I never cheated and, uh, you know, don't waste my time. You know, if you're going to test people and, and they test positive and then you're going to let them off with a slap on the wrist. So because John Jones' time is prorated, basically he's going to be eligible to fight at the end of October. Uh, there were a lot of rumors that he was going to headline the Madison Square Garden card, but Dana White squashed those rumors at the press conference between Khabib and Connor. So that's not going to happen. Uh, I Listen, obviously there's a lot of politics involved here. Did he deserve a longer suspension after it's his uh, second offense? Probably. Um, but listen, it, it's politics. It's a business. Uh, there's backdoor deals being done all the time. Uh, all the people who are pissed off about this are part of the 15% who watch every single event and follow all the storylines. And they're, they're really into this and they think it's really not fair, but they're still going to watch if John Jones fights anyway. And then John Jones is going to bring in the casual fans. So, uh, you know, if, if there was some shady shit going on, uh, it's a business at the end of the day. Uh, look on the bright side, at least they're not going to let him continue to cheat. I mean, his victory over Daniel Cormier was ruled a no contest because of USADA. So if you think USADA doesn't accomplish anything, uh, it accomplished that. That's staying as a no contest on his record. He technically did not beat Daniel Cormier a second time. Um, so if you want to take a positive spin on it and, and you still want to hate John Jones, there's that. Uh, what were your thoughts on USADA's uh, decision here and John Jones' suspension and his eligibility to fight, Jeff? What are you looking forward to here for uh, Johnny Bones? So, Bill, I'm part of that 15% you just talked about. But, <laughs> Bill, I hate myself for it because at the end of the day, I'll I'll gladly watch John Jones fight. He's a good fighter. You know, nobody's saying that he's not. Um, you know, unfortunately, for me personally, I feel like this is strike two. But, um, you know, personal feelings aside, um, hmm. I want to see John Jones fight Alexander Gustafson again. And I want to see it for that belt, Bill, because one, I don't think DC is ever going to come back to light heavyweight when he's, you know, he has to cut weight for that. He, he has to put off the, the chicken and the cakes. So I, I see him staying at heavyweight. And honestly, I think I, reason number two, I still believe that uh, Gustafson won their first fight. Um, only by a razor thin margin, but I honestly, if, if, uh, if their second fight was anything or would be anything like that first fight was, I think it should be put on again, because for me, that's probably in my top five of greatest fights of all time was Jones versus Gustafson. So I'd love to see them go at it again. Yeah, for sure. I think that's probably the fight that's going to happen. The fight that I was hoping for was John Jones and Anthony Rumble Johnson at heavyweight. Uh, this would just be a spectacle. 
for me, uh, you know, tell USADA to take a hike. And then obviously the winner would fight the winner of Daniel Cormier and um, Brock Lesnar in January or whenever that fight uh, might take place. Uh, but it looks like John Jones is in shape. Uh, you know, he's had 15 months uh, to recover from, you know, really hard training. He's only 31 years old still. Um, and, you know, I, I think, and I'll say something else to, you know, the 15 percenters who are saying, you know, USADA is a joke and, and his John Jones's legacy is, is tarnished. If you go back and, and look over John Jones's record, uh, you can see he's fought guys, fought and beaten guys, Chael Sonnen, Vitor Belfort, Leona Machida, guys who have all also tested positive. And then all your former pride fighters, Rampage Jackson, Shogun Hua, um, Vladimir Machischenko, uh, Stefan Bonner, you know, go, go through John Jones's resume and look at guys who have also been on steroids and then think about how unfair it really is. Uh, of course, when it comes to guys like Daniel Cormier, who are, you know, presumed to be clean and, you know, Cormier has somehow transitioned into being the good guy in this whole scenario, which is what he's wanted all along. Uh, but yet he's still, uh, not happy with it. Uh, <laughs> you know, just, just some food for thought. If you're thinking like you saw it as a joke and, and, uh, you want to try and tarnish John Jones's credibility. Like, yeah, he's probably really taking steroids, but he's also beaten a lot of guys who were definitely also taking steroids. Um, uh, you know, the fact that he's got, uh, one win over Daniel Cormier, who's presumably clean and Alexander Gustafson, who's presumably clean. And these are kind of the names that are, that are bouncing around as potential fights for John Jones in the future. Yeah. I can see that as being frustrating, but you know, don't throw, don't throw the guy's whole record out the window, uh, because you know, he probably did enjoy some advantages in a lot of his fights, because this is something that's still very common, you know, you saw it or not, people are finding ways around these tests. And, uh, you know, some of your favorite fighters are still taking steroids and taking other performance enhancing drugs and taking, you know, things that give them a little bit of an edge because at this high level of competition, you have to take every advantage you can, you know, whether it's a, a supplement or it's a, a diet or it's a workout regimen. Uh, you know, these guys are super competitive and they'll do anything to win. Uh, so just keep all that in mind. Uh, when you think things like, you know, you saw it as a joke and everything like that, because, um, also remember how hard their job is. They're in charge of, uh, you know, they have to be the ones to spoil the parties and cancel main events and, and do all this stuff. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes they, they have to make some hard decisions and they're not always going to be decisions that you like, uh, but that's life. So, uh, John Jones is coming back and you're going to watch him fight no matter what you think. Uh, <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's my point at the end of the day. So, uh, we covered a lot here today, Jeff. Uh, you know, we went really deep, uh, into, Fight night 137, a lot deeper than I expected to when I saw this card on paper. But, you know, it was a great card. And we got Bellator 206 next week. And then next week we'll be back to break down Connor versus Khabib. Uh, I know 
you guys are probably sick about hearing about this fight because every other show that you probably listen to has been talking about it and building up for weeks and weeks and weeks and we haven't. So, uh, you know, tune in next week if you want to hear our perspective or skip next week if you're sick of hearing about this fight and you just want to get it over with already. In any case, uh, if you want to reach us in the meantime, you can talk to Jeff on Twitter at animal underscore Wilson. And of course, you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's that MMA on the rocks, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, anywhere else on the internet. Send me an email, MMAontherocks at gmail.com. Until next time, cheers, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs>